You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Let's uh, open our Bibles to Psalm 49. So encouraged by our teaching team the past several weeks. So blessed. I mean, um, I sat down with Toby, who preached early July. This past week, listened to his message with him and walked through that. Man, that was major encouragement, how God is growing and using. Last week, Pastor Earl here and his experience of the treatment from cancer and then his first time preaching since then and how blessed. Again, I heard so many people talk about that too. And then everyone in between, we're just we're, we're really, really being encouraged here as a church and the different people God is raising up to be used, not taking that for granted at all. So today we're in Psalm 49. We have a two-week mini-series. Series in what I'm guessing in Psalm 49 is a lesser known psalm. It's not a lesser psalm, it's a lesser known psalm, right? Think of some of the most famous or some of the favorite psalms, like Psalm 19, personal favorite of mine. The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I love that. Psalm 23, in my readings this morning, I'm sure you could probably say some of that, if not all of that by heart. Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. So great, again, so famous. Psalm 51, David's psalm of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba. Very, very well-known psalm. Um, psalm 119, that's the Hebrew golden alphabet. It takes every alphabet in the Hebrew alphabet, every letter in the alphabet, and then it expands into God's word, 176 verses in Psalm 119, 172 of them have mention of God's word. Psalm 139, maybe you know that one, fearfully and wonderfully made. Search me, O God, know my heart, see if there be any grievous way within me. All these Psalms we're so familiar with and we love, and you have others that you love, but it's often you say, hey, you know, versus that Psalm, and I go, hey, Psalm 49. And it'd be like crickets, right? Just like it would be for me before I study that too. You know it's there, maybe, but you don't know what's in it. And that's why we usually take a psalm each summer in the month of August to go through. And that's why we're doing it now. Our title for this two-week mini-series is Truth in Troubled Times. Truth in Troubled Times. An exposition of Psalm 49. Why are we calling it that? Well, look at verse 5. Verse 5 is our answer of Psalm 49. The psalmist says, Why should I fear in times of trouble? It's right there in God's Word. The ESV will take a, that's my translation, the ESV will pick a uh, section of a verse uh, within each psalm as what they believe is the thesis. That's the section they have taken, I believe, correctly to say this is the center of what's happening within this psalm. Why should I fear in times of trouble? That is the psalmist's question. That is the core of his content. That is the stake he's putting in the ground. So what I love right now is the Bible right now at this time comes to our front door. Like right now. Like he's just knocked on your front door of your heart and he wants to speak. I love it too. The Holy Spirit sits down right beside us today. This is what you have to realize, okay? When we gather for church, just one of our elders prayed last night, we have a supernatural encounter with God. We're not going through the motions here. What's happening right now is this is the church of the living God. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. Every person saved in here is filled with the Holy, baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit sits down beside you right now. You're like, I don't have room beside me. No, no, he's good. He can figure it out, okay? He's, he's pretty smart. He sits down beside you right now, and he's like, man, I got a word for you today from Psalm 49. I mean, every single person here right now, the Holy Spirit sits down beside you and is like, hey, by the way, I wrote this book, and like this song, I wrote it too, and I have something I want to say to you today. So every heart that is hungry will be fed. 
You can choose to have a hard heart. You can choose to snore through the whole thing. You can choose. And often what does that? That quenches God's spirit and he'll pass by there. But right now he's inviting every single person who wants to engage and wants to. This is what we do. This is why this time is so unique as the gathered church and so special. And the Holy Spirit has used it this weekend. We pray he will use it again. And so here in Psalm 49, um, God's people are experiencing troubled times. This was written about 2,600 years ago. And of course, we experience troubled times all around us today. And notice the same temptation in every generation when it comes to troubled times. It's the temptation towards fear. Why should I fear in times of trouble? But the psalmist knows this. He knows the greatest weapon against fear is truth. And placing your faith in that truth, the truth of God, to combat fear. Every day we need truth, loved ones. I mean, this past week, some mornings I woke up eager to be in God's word. Other mornings woke up and just it wasn't, wasn't really into it. Or you're a little more like laborious. But you, but you do it anyways. You open it up and you realize, even this morning, in God's word, and you realize the truth again that is so powerful. So this is what we do for two weeks. We need truth today. And the next two weeks, we're going to have a very personal conversation with the Holy Spirit and in God's word. And we ask and we answer. We ask and we answer. Why should I fear in times of trouble? Why should I fear in times of trouble? The Holy Spirit wants to help us in this. So what the psalmist does in Psalm 49, this lesser known psalm, he gives an introduction that sets up the big idea. So let's read verses 1 to 4. This is his introduction. We're going to spend a couple of minutes as we go through that. Then we will get into the main course of the day. Psalm 49, verse 1. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all the inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together, My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. So what's happening here, verses 1 to 4 again, is an urgent introduction. Uh, Psalm 49 is a psalm of wisdom. Some psalms are psalms of praise. Others are psalms of petition. Others are psalms of prayer. Others are psalms of lament. This specifically is the genre. It's a psalm of wisdom. Now notice this series of couplets that the psalmist uses in verses 1 to 4 to get our attention for what's coming. Look at the first couplet in verse 1. See what I mean by that. Hear this, all peoples, give ear. So hear this and give ear. Two times he's like, you got to hear this. Now who's got to hear this? Notice, all peoples or all inhabitants of the world. Last time I checked, that pretty much covers everyone, right? Hey, everyone who's alive, listen up, right? Give ear, all peoples. So there's great urgency. The psalmist is really, really burdened. Now watch this in verse 2. Both low and high, both rich and poor. So the next couplet is low and high, rich and poor. Now, why does he mention rich and poor? Because Psalm 49, at its most basic, again, thesis is, it's a psalm detailing, listen carefully, the emptiness of earthly riches. You're going to see, this is what the psalm is about. The psalmist is saying, listen, life is lived in two ways. You can serve God or serve money. One leads to destruction, one leads to everlasting life. You can serve the world, or you can serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's like, listen, the rich need to hear that message, 
And the poor need to hear that message because we're all tempted to live for things that don't matter, to gather treasures on earth as opposed to treasures in heaven. Look at verse 3 now. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. The couplet there is wisdom with understanding. Notice where it's going to come from, the meditation of his heart. Why is that important? The heart to the Hebrew. When the Hebrews spoke of the heart, it was the very essence of their being defined in three main ways. Their minds, their affections, and their will. So the psalmist says to you and I right now, he says, if you're listening... And if you will let this truth change you, this will change how you think. This will change the affections of your life. This will change the direction of your life as well. It's from my heart to your heart. That's how profound this wisdom is. Look at verse 4 now. I will incline my ear to a proverb, first part of the couplet. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. So the psalmist is now saying this. He's listen, listen. What I'm about to unpack for you right now, Hope Church, I'm about to solve, his words, I'm about to solve the riddle of life, death, and prosperity. Now you consider that. The psalmist is like, listen, I'm going to solve the riddle of life, that tends to be a big one, of death, that's pretty important, and of true prosperity pertaining to eternity and the futility of this earthly riches. He's like, that's what we're going for right now. In fact, he says, I feel so strongly about it, I'm going to put it to music. Now, why would he do that? Well, because one of the main reasons we sing in the church of Jesus Christ, every song we sang today contains massive statements of truth, of life-changing transformation. We sing to honor and worship the Lord, and we sing because when you put it to a tune, how much better you remember the reality of the theology you believe. That's why music is created by God so much, to honor him, but also, again, you put it to music. It's amazing how you remember. That's what he's saying right now. This is so important. This is so important. We're going to put it to music because when you get this, this can change your life forever. So we just walked into the front room of Psalm 49, and many of us were not expecting this. We really had no idea what was in front of us. We're starting to get a little bit of it now. Psalm 49, a psalm of wisdom, a psalm of wealth, a psalm of eternal ramifications, and all who listen, they will be changed you got to hear. So when I'm thinking of a psalm of wisdom, and I just love the theme of wisdom in Scripture, I can't help but think of Proverbs 4, verse 7. Proverbs 4, verse 7, one of my favorites says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Yes, get wisdom. Thank you, Sheldon. That's so great, right? The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And then it says, whatever you get, get insight. Okay, okay, so, so who's, he- who's here and who's wise right now? Listen up, listen up, Ready? The beginning of the wise person, the beginning of the person who's wise says, I got to get it. The foolish person's like, eh, maybe later. But the wise person says, I got to get it now. And in fact, the Bible says, whatever you get in this life, whatever you're seeking after, go for wisdom because it's the wisdom of God that most fundamentally changes your life for the good. And that will separate so many people right now, again, from wisdom and foolishness, from life and death. And this is what Psalm 49 says puts before us right now. So, you've walked in the front door of Psalm 49, or really Psalm 49 has walked through your front door, and many of us are not prepared for the seriousness of what awaits us and the substance, but that's why I love God, so I love the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you right now, right now, everyone here, 
invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Like, like he's come right to your front door and he's like, hey man, I got stuff to say. Invite him to speak to you and to change you. That's how important this psalm will become. Again, a path of, of life and a path of death rooted in the view of riches, of temporal worth, and of eternal worth. So the psalmist is looking for the attention. He's like, listen, you gotta listen, you gotta listen, you gotta listen. So important. And now he comes to his main content and we come to our main idea. Look at verse five now. Here's, here's his point. Why should I fear in times of trouble? He's like, church, listen, listen, listen. You don't need to fear in times of trouble. So this, again, this is our big idea on the screen for you. Point number one, again, just to make it clear, this is what we're going after. This is the question we're answering, the question we're asking. Why should I not fear in times of trouble? Verses five and six detail this for us. So look at verse five again. Why should I fear in times of trouble? Notice, when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of the riches. So this is interesting to me. Troubled times are surrounding the psalmist, and he describes these troubled times as being surrounded by sin. We experience troubled times as we're surrounded by iniquity, but notice how he describes the sin. Verse 6, look at verse 6. He describes the sin as those who trust in their wealth. Those who boast in the abundance of riches is the description of the iniquity that surrounds God's people and surrounds them and seeks to cheat them. So this is fascinating to me in the Bible relating to one another. This Psalm 49 could be a commentary on so many of the teachings of Jesus his parables and just his straight up teachings. But this psalm was written close to 600 years before Jesus was even on earth. Yet the unity of the Bible as it comes together. This psalm is contrasting. You can trust in the earthly riches or you can trust in eternal God. You can live for idolatrous wealth or you can live for the wealth of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings. And as the psalmist kind of looks at this, he's encouraged, he's emboldened. And he says, why would I fear the trouble that surrounds me? Why would I fear the sin of those that surround me? Why would I fear those people who at the end of the day, their power is earthly? Their power is futile? Their power simply will not last? He's like, why would I fear those who could kill me physically but could never kill me spiritually? Why would I fear those who cannot even save themselves? Why would I fear a situation, circumstances, or culture that will soon be brought into judgment in self and apart from Jesus Christ does not stand a chance? Why would I fear those, the psalmist is saying? Why would I fear in times of trouble when I have the fear of the Lord? It's the people without the fear of the Lord. They're the ones who are in super big trouble. I mean, what a great truth this is, kind of stated in a way we wouldn't often think of it. What a great prayer this is. God, help me not to fear in times of trouble because you, you are the one who's my savior and rescuer. You are my guarantee. What a great prayer this is. By the way, speaking of prayer, prayer meeting this Wednesday, 7 p.m. You should come. It's going to be great. We're going to pray about these themes and many others. Why should we fear? be people who fear the Lord again, not man? Did I mention prayer meeting Wednesday, 7 p.m.? Did I mention that? Great. I have to say it many, many times. 
praying people come out and want to be together this week as a part of growing in the community here at Hope Bible Church and seeing what God will do. Yes, prayer meeting this Wednesday, 7 p.m. Thanks for putting up with me. I appreciate it. Okay, but I want you to see the very key phrase in verse 6, okay? In verse 6, those who trust in their wealth, that is describing the sin surrounding the psalmist. Now, wealth, money, wealth, money in itself, on its own, is neutral, right? It's, 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 it's a thing, used for bad, used for good. It's neutral. Notice the difference here. Trust, trust in that wealth is when all hell breaks loose, literally. You know how many people have been brought to eternal destruction through a trust? You know how many people sold their souls to the devil by giving their life to the temporal pursuit of earthly riches and have thereby rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation? I'm telling you, millions upon millions, even hundreds of millions and billions over the course of this history have entrusted themselves and put their trust in wealth to the forfeiting of their own soul. I mean, this is why the psalm is such a big deal. Again, to trust in wealth. What is to trust in wealth? You look at it. You depend on it. You expect it. When you do those things, what happens is then you start to love it. And when you love it, you worship it. When you worship it, it becomes your hope. It becomes your God. This is the danger of trusting in wealth. And when we trust in wealth, whether it takes a day or a month or a year, it will always lead to devastating disappointment. This is why God says to his people over in Deuteronomy, love Deuteronomy, book of Deuteronomy, love Deuteronomy chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God's like, I'm going to feed you with men. I'm, 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 I'm going to hold from you to test you to see what's in your heart, to see and to make you know that you may know that man does not live by bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay? Later on, he says, but then I'm going to provide for you practically. I'm going to drive you into a land of milk and honey. I'm going to provide for you abundantly. You're going to have food and fruits. You're going to have the best of the best. You will even have gold and silver. Here's what God says. But when you get that provision, do not forget your God, the very one who gave you all those things. Because if you forget about me, then what's going to happen is I will have to come and discipline you to once again remind you that it's not the stuff you're supposed to worship. It's me. And when you forget about me, the discipline enters into your life that I may call you back to remind you again of who truly satisfies and why we truly live. And this becomes the story of God's people throughout history. They receive the blessing, they forget about God, they build up idols, they worship the idols, they're disciplined by the Lord, they undergo punishment, they undergo this treatment, then they're brought back, they repent, they restore their love to God, they become proud again, they start worshiping things around them, and the process happens again. I'm telling you how many of us, we live in this massively blessed society, practically speaking, relative to the world. This society we live in is incredibly self-indulgent. We are incredibly selfish as a whole. Incredible abundance all around us. And listen, so many of us, we have been blessed. We pursue the blessing. It becomes too much. It gets too much of our mind and heart. It steals our affections. We start to love the things around us. We start to love the money that we might be given. We start to forget the grace of the one who gave it to us. We start to move away from God. Our affections are wrapped up in all the things of our world. And what happens is God loves us too much, so he disciplines us. 
He allows difficulty and trial to enter into our lives because he loves us too much to let us stray, to remind us that he's the one that we are to serve. He's the one that we are to love. And because he cares for us so much, he will not let us stray forever. And we go through difficult times to once again be reminded it's not the stuff we're to worship. It's the one and only God, his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And some of us right now are in the trial I speak of at this moment because you we can be caught off guard and led astray by the things of this world. Some of us right now are in a trial of discipline of the Lord because we have started worshiping the earth as opposed to worshiping Jesus Christ. And because God's the perfect father, he loves you. He loves you. And so he disciplines you. Because he knows at the end of the day, if he doesn't do that, you will will carry off into self-destruction as so many in our world are doing right now. This is the danger of the pursuit of wealth. Now, if you're like me, you're in Psalm 49, and trust in wealth, you have many, many verses flowing through your mind right now from a New Testament, how the Bible's really one book. So let's just get those verses out because we're all thinking of them anyways, and we can see them and see how much the Bible's really one book. Here's the first verse. These are all from Jesus. I want you to see. We'll go through them quickly. It's just, again, it's so connected to Psalm 49. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That would be dumb. Why? Because moth and rust will destroy them. Well, I don't want that. That'd be stupid. I know. I know. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that will last forever. That sounds smart. I know. I know it does, doesn't it? Why is this such a big deal? For where your treasure is, that's what you trust. And what you trust, that's where your heart is. You trust in treasure, trust in the earth, your heart's in the earth. You trust in God, you trust in Christ, your heart's with Christ. Next verse. Matthew 6. This is, this is really our psalm in a verse. No one can serve two masters. You will hate the one, love the other, devoted to the one, or despise the other. Here we go, ready? You can't serve both. You gotta choose one or the other. That's Psalm 49, man, right there. He's like, hey, the people that are loving the world and its riches, they're going to die. And after that, it's not good, not good. They, they cannot pay for their own lives. But those who trust in the Lord, God will ransom their soul. God will pay for their life, again, through his provision, through his son. But you can't do both. It's either one or the other. Look, look, not my words. You will hate the one, love the other. Look at Luke 6. This is, this is a big deal. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Part of the Beatitudes, Jesus says in Luke 6. So, so, so hey, um, those who have all the stuff right now, you better enjoy it, man, because that's your reward. Love the houses, love the cars, love the money, love the vacation. Just like enjoy it while you can, because he says, man, that's your consolation. Like, that's your reward. Enjoy it now, because after that, after Jesus comes, it's, it's all dust. It all goes to nothing. It's gone. So, like, enjoy it while you can, because it's not going to last very long. This is what he's saying. This is, this is what Jesus is saying. It's most of our world. And live for now, live for now, live for now, live for now. And then all of eternity, eternal regret. Next verse. I mean, guard your heart against covetousness. Don't long for. We're going to see that in Psalm 49 in the later verses next week. Don't, 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 don't get jealous of the rich because our life doesn't consist in what we possess. Next verse. But God said to him, to the, to the rich fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? It's a good question, man. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, here we go, ready, and is not rich toward God. He's like, fool. God says, you fool, you idiot. 
Like, what were you doing? You spent your whole life for something that won't last, and now you're dead, and now your souls are required. You have nothing to show for it. You moron, right? Last verse. Luke 18. This is rich young ruler. Jesus, seeing the rich young ruler become sad because he tested him on his wealth, he said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Not impossible, but very difficult because those who have so much wealth are so tempted to trust their wealth as opposed to Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus says, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. So we're talking about this very, very important issue in God's word. We're talking about Psalm 49, just going through it. And wow, do I trust in wealth? Do I trust in Christ? And there's an eternal difference. So this is important enough then to unpack this question. What are some signs that I am falling victim, that I have sinned in the love of money? What are some signs? What are indications that I am trusting in wealth? Here are 10 indications that I am trusting in wealth. And um, I borrow this from uh, Don Wilson, okay? Ten indications that I love money, and this is a danger in my life. First, I'm obsessed with becoming rich. Um, I'm in serious danger of loving money. When I think about money, when I just want to pursue money, when I'm just trying to get, I work all those hours at the end of the day, I just, I just want more accumulation to get more stuff that I may have more and more and more. Another uh, indication is I never have enough. I'm never content That's a huge one. G.K. Chesterton said so wisely, there are two ways to have enough. You can get more or you can can be content with less. Two ways to have enough. The power of being content with less in order to have enough. This one, I live beyond my means. This this right here is, is setting so much destruction in our society. Listen, this one right here is so much destruction in the church. So many people. One of the best financial advice I ever got was, don't spend more than you make. And I was like, wow, that's so profound. Let me write that down. <laughs> As a young man, though, I was like, wow, that just makes so much sense. You know? But everything around me is saying the opposite. Spend, 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 spend. Get, 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 get. I said to my kids, man, I just, I've just ever, ever since my kids, I say, what's the number one piece of financial advice, children? Don't spend more than you make, Dad. I'm, yes, yes, yes. It will solve so many problems. It's so unusual, yet so wise. This right here, again, how many of us tempted with boatloads of debt, and it starts to ruin our lives. The bore is the slave to the lender. It starts to hurt our marriages, stress out our families, increase sinful decisions, weigh us down. Just it's it's just it's so it's such a problem and it's rooted so often in this. I love to show off what I've bought. I mean, in our day we buy these things, we're just home someone will notice, man. The cars we drive, the houses we have, the decorating we do, the clothes, whatever it is, the the gadgets, all that stuff. I mean, if that's what's happening, man, shut it down. That will not be blessed by the Lord. Um, I am greedy is a sign that I love money. Again, what would people say about you and I? They say our life constitutes greed. Now, the single greatest way to go against this and this, the single greatest way to push against the pursuit of money and the love of money is generosity. Generosity is the greatest biblical antidote 
to a trusting of wealth. What you're doing as you become generous is you're proving to the Lord and to those branches, it doesn't have me. I don't love it. I love to give to the kingdom of God. I give away. And at that moment, you are proving to your heart it doesn't have it. You don't love money. You love God. Single greatest way that we fight against this with our lives, with the life that we have and the time we still have, is generosity. Next five. I'll go through them quickly. Indications I love money. I've forgotten the source. Deuteronomy 8. We went through, God says, when you get blessed, do not forget. It's all grace. You got food in your fridge? Grace. You got money in your bank? Grace. It's all grace. It's all from God. Don't forget that. My loyalties are divided. Matthew 6. You can't do both. It's one or the other. God or money. Decide. I am tempted to sin. So an indication I love money is I'm now tempted to be creative and how I can get more money and sin in the process. I'm going to cheat on my taxes. I'm going to do shady business deals. I'm going to deceive other people. I'm not going to, so I'm sinning an increasing measure to gain more money. That's a tremendous sign that money has too much of a hold on my life. And obviously that's a huge problem. My life is starting to suffer. Those who pursue wealth alone for the sake of earthly riches, again, their lives begin to self-destruct. Number one cause of marital stress, money, finances. How much of our lives ruin time thinking, no peace, often stressed, trying to do more, covering up for other situations. It's amazing when life starts to break down at the root of this so often is idolatry. And then lastly, I'm wondering if I need help. Some of you right now are just like, man, I, it's hard to be here in this message right now, but this is exactly the confirmation I needed because I don't really have any arguments now. I recognize the path I've been walking has not been honoring the Lord, and it's not working. I need to change. I don't want to spend the next 10, 20 years in the same way I spent the last 10 or 20. It, it just stinks. I need help. Love to help you. We'd love this church to help, and even trying today, trying to say the answer is right here to say, man, i got to stop pursuing that which simply will not be blessed by the Lord. It's got to be the Lord. He's got to be first. He's got to be first. Interesting that our most troubled times can correspond with our greatest prosperity if we trust in wealth and riches. So what we do now is we transition now in this psalm specifically to the reasons of why we need not to fear and so troubled times surround us. Why do I need not to fear specifically now in troubled times? Now, we have five reasons, okay, we need not fear in troubled times, but we can't go through all five right now. We're going to do two now and three next week. You're like, hey, can you give me all five though before you go? Come back next week, all right? Come back next week, and we'll get all five down together. And the way the psalm ends is pretty powerful, okay? So we do two now to end, and then the next three will be next week. So, so here comes the answers. Why I need not fear, based on Psalm 49, why I need not fear in times of trouble. Answer number one, because wealth cannot buy life. Because wealth, money, cannot buy salvation. Look at, look at verse 7, just going verse by verse through God's word. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Okay, so what are we learning? There are certain things money can't buy. Salvation's at the top of the list. Okay, you cannot buy your redemption. You cannot pay your way into heaven. At the end of the day, The wise person, listen carefully, 
the wise person would give up all the money in the world if they could have salvation from Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus said, of course. Right? Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What is that? That is called wisdom. The wise person says, I forsake everything on earth if it means I get access to Jesus Christ forever in heaven because comparing the riches of the two, it's not even close. One is infinitely glorious. One is so temporal and futile and unfulfilling. Wisdom. Wisdom is knocking at our door today. Which are we living for? So many people, again, in the pursuit of the world are selling their souls to the devil. The contrast here is so clear though. Verse 8, right? Verse 8. The ransom, the price is too high. I can't pay it on my own. It's too costly. It'll never suffice. Verse 9. No human payment will ever be enough to prevent them, to buy them out of the pit or, the, or hell. No human payment will ever be enough. No human ingenuity will cause them to live forever. Voltaire, the French philosopher, atheist, and mocker of Christianity. Voltaire was a very wealthy man. He was a very famous man during the Enlightenment period. And again, a very strong opponent of the Christian faith. Yet when he came to die in the midst of great fear and anguish, it is reported he cried this out to his doctor. He said, I will give you half of all I possess if you will give me six months more of life. Isn't that interesting, right? He stated his beliefs. He mocked, again, the Christian faith. He opposed Jesus Christ. He hated God's word. But at the end of the day, you say you believe a certain thing, but when it comes down to it and you're facing death, you're terrified and you're pleading for six months more of life. Why, Voltaire? What will six more months do? Just delay the inevitable. And the fear that resides within for the most ardent atheist that overcomes him in his darkest moment. Yet we who have been made alive in Jesus Christ, who have been saved by grace through the cross of Christ and the empty tomb, listen, we can say, why would I fear in times of trouble? See, I cannot buy life. I don't have to. Jesus Christ has bought it for me. I cannot ransom another, but I don't have to because Jesus Christ has paid for their sins if they would receive him in grace and faith. This is why I think about the ransom that comes from Christ. The throne room scene in Revelation chapter 5, reflecting what will be said of all of glory when Jesus Christ takes the scroll. Again, the heavenly procession, the people there, they sing and they say, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, every tribe, language, people, and nation, and have made them kingdom of priests to their God and they will reign on earth. So think about that. The fear of this world and the fear of death. But you belong to Jesus Christ and in some form for all of eternity you will say you are so worthy for you were slain Jesus Christ and you ransomed me for God by your blood therefore I shall not fear. As the psalmist says the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see what happens here? The 
people without Christ, they are so terrified at death with the reality of what they know is coming, which they haven't got in order. But all of us who are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can stare death in the face and the troubled times around us and say, I need not fear. All because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, how powerful it is. Wealth cannot buy life, but Jesus Christ already has. Why should I fear in times of trouble? And our second reason we need not fear, and we end with this, is because death is 100% certain. You're like, that's a reason I should not be afraid? It is, it is. Let's, let's, let's learn together. Look at, look at verse 12. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Look at this. Their graves are their homes forever. These verses, like in God's word, you're looking at, you're like, wow, like, it's amazing that's there. Look, they're dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast's that perish. So why is this encouraging? Why, why do we not fear in times? Well, watch verse 10, we'll learn. All will die, everyone will die, from the wisest to the dumbest. And everyone in between, all will die. Notice verse 10 also, you can't take your money with you. The Bible explicitly says, your wealth will not go with you. And then look at verse 11. Think, think of all the massive homes Think of all the luxury. Think of all the TV shows of the rich and famous. Think of all the people that are worshipped in our society. Think of all the extra stuff they might have and the ridiculousness, kind of lavish, again, items and clothing and cars and vacation and but whatever it is, all the stuff they have. But at the end of the day, the Bible says, at the end of the day, the richest person in the world, you still end up in the same place as the poorest person in the world. You all end up in the grave. That becomes your home. See what the Bible's saying right here? You can have the greatest home ever on this earth, but at the end, your home is the grave. Dummy. Right? <laughs> this, is what, this is what the Bible's saying. But like, let us not be dumb. Like, let us be wise. This is what the psalmist is pleading with us to understand. In the end, death is the great leveler. Death levels out everyone on the same plane. Even, I love how the Bible says this, verse 11, even those who called lands by their own names. You see that? So let's say Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, self-obsessed, self-idolatrous, self-worshipful, massively powerful world leader, obviously, world conqueror in many ways. I mean, unbelievably powerful. Do you know Alexander the Great named 70 cities after himself? 70. And he even named one after his horse, Okay, but perfectly timed. Here comes verse 12. Look at verse 12. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. What does that mean? What do we know? Alexander died and his horse died too. Okay, <laughs> right? Just meaning all will die. And you can have 70 cities named after you. At the end of the day, you're in the grave too. You, like everyone else who's ever lived, you will also go to the grave. Um, I think of the word pomp in verse 12, and I think of Herod in Acts chapter 12, where he did not stop the people from calling him a god. He did not give God the glory, the text says. And it says, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and worms ate him, and he breathed his last. 
Herod, so rich, so powerful, so arrogant, so pompous, so dead. So dead. Just like every other person. This, this is what the Bible is saying to us. Loved ones, it's a warning, right? All of us. The Bible says you, your life is a mist. It's a vapor. We're like grass here one day, gone the next. Live with wisdom. Live as though this is true as it is true. See, the Bible is saying, why would you live for that which moth and rust destroy? Live for the kingdom of God that lives forever. Make that the investment of your life. Realize what the grave holds and realize what Jesus Christ gives. So on my break, I did some pretty exciting things, and one of them was I went to a cemetery. They're like, wow, Robbie, your break needs to get a little bit more breakier, all right? So, but listen, I went to this very, very special cemetery. I'm going to show a picture for you. It's very special to me. So here are four, I've never been here before, four tombstones of my relatives. This is in Penetanguishene, Ontario, small, humble town. My grandfather was raised there. This is the tombstone of my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother, and then um, their two of the three sons. So my grandpa's brothers, he, my grandpa was the oldest, but both his brothers died um, before him. And so this is um, great grandpa, William Archibald Simons. My parents were this close to calling me Archie, all right? So I almost was named Archie. I think that sounds good. Archie Simons, that's good. Anyways, didn't happen, all right? Didn't happen. So this is great grandma Winnie, Winifred. So she's the one, I'm, I've quoted a poem that my great-grandmother wrote many times, and it's in the front of my Bible right now. That's her. That's great-grandma Winifred, woman of God. And as far as I understand, all of these. Uncle, great-uncle Frank, um, he was a, a medical doctor, died at age 50. Um, and my great-uncle Jack, he fought in the Second World War, a wonderful man, never married, um, just loved the Lord. So, And, and for side-by-side in this humble town up in Penetang. And I brought my kids there. We went and looked and said, hey, kids, this is, this is kind of important. You know, this is, this is a real part of our past. And just to recognize and to say significant people, you wouldn't be here apart from these people. You would not exist. And it is special, right? If you're thinking about that, you just these moments of just stopping and putting down the devices and just looking and saying, wow. But what I realized too, as you go through Psalm 49, I'm so glad I took this picture, was these tombstones, because they all love the Lord Jesus Christ, these tombstones are not there for them. They're not here. These are here for people like me that I come and I look at to remember them. But what's the reality is, for those without Christ, the grave is the home forever, the Bible says. But for those with the Lord Jesus, and all four who love the Lord, all four would stand over the grave, and they are saying right now, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? You have nothing on me. Because Jesus Christ died for my sins and he, was rose from, he rose from the grave. As he has been made a newness of life, I too have been made now a newness of life because of what Jesus Christ has done. Listen, the Bible says to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. All four of my sweet relatives are right now in the presence of Jesus Christ, glorifying him forever as they will for all of eternity because anyone who's been set free in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will never die. In fact, the moment they physically die is the moment they actually start to live, which is why, loved ones, we can look across the troubled times of this world and say, why should I fear? I should not fear because Jesus Christ has paid for any human fear and has got and brought me everlasting life. The grace of Jesus Christ, the faith in him, the love of Jesus Christ, the payment for my sins. There is nothing I ultimately need to be afraid of. And you can kill me and then I actually start to live. That is the power of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are here right now and you've never known this hope, and you are riddled with fear, 
and you're so afraid of this life and the circumstances around you, and you have no peace, Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is the path of life. Jesus Christ is the answer for you right now. If you will turn from sin and embrace him by faith and receive the gift of his grace, which you don't deserve, you will never die. And at this moment, you're a child of God. Again, again, and you can be filled with the faith that carries you on from this life all to eternity in the next. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead. And that's why he's coming again sometime soon. And that's why we love him. Amen. And that's wisdom. Amen. Clap for that. Amen. Amen. So, again, why should I fear in times of trouble? I shouldn't. I don't need to. Holy Spirit, help us, right? Holy Spirit, help us not just hear this, but to live it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you do that? Would you help us right now? Uh, Praying with... um, A woman last service, she says, I believe this so much, I want to live it now. That's such a good prayer. Lord, many, many in this room say, we believe this. We believe earthly riches won't last. Help us to live it now. God, we believe we can't serve God in money. Help us to live by serving the Lord. We believe the kingdom of God lasts forever. Help us to live for the kingdom of God. We believe, Lord, again, money just runs out, and then the, the home of people on this earth apart from Christ is the grave forever. So help us not to be that. Help us to be men and women who live our lives with expectancy and fruitfulness. Help us now, too, with this song so carefully chosen as a beautiful response to this message. A song that says, you are my wisdom. Oh, the theme of wisdom. A song that says, I don't need riches. Jesus Christ is my treasure. A song that says, Jesus, one day you will soon return. And my victory is in heaven with you. Help us to sing with great joy and power and faith and delight. Even as we sing, I pray many of us are taking our sin to the cross again and say, forgive me, God. And now today, I live for you. May Hope Bible Church be known as men, women, and children in love with Jesus, with open hands with the things of this world, and a tight grip on the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name.